Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Read A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 163, A Storm of Swords Prologue, chat featuring Micah. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And today's guest is maybe an expert on minor characters, but is not a minor character in today's episode. Ha! <laughs> hey, Micah. Hello, everybody. I'm Micah. You can find me on Twitter at Micah underscore of Clark, where I make numerous amounts of shit posts or just posts about minor <laughs> various minor characters that you've never heard about. I'm also a co-host on Planetos Podcast, which you can find under the same name on Twitter. We're not doing that much right now, but there's a lot of stuff on various like minor houses and minor characters on that. And it's total blast. I think my favorite is probably... The Bar- Barbary episode? We had a Barbary. They, they had a Barbary episode before I came on, and it was really good. Yeah. Mm. BM, before Micah, but it's a great episode. <laughs> but, I, you know, you guys are great. All, all of y'all are good. We had a really good, good time. Fellas. I've gotten to meet, actually. Oh my God, I've gotten to meet everyone. All of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I guess I've collected I them all. I haven't met. Wow. Oh, sorry, Micah. Yeah. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was lucky enough to meet Micah, Micah the Tall, we could call him. I was lucky enough to meet Small Micah, (laughs) Small Micah Paul. Micah's tall? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. taller than I am. I surprised many people. Insane. (laughs) Like I said, not a minor character. Not a minor character. I want to say you told me during like a brunch or some sort of hanging out on Discord how tall you were. So I was like, wait a second, how tall are you? And you told me and I was like, wow, interesting. And I got to see it in the flesh and you were not kidding around. <sighs> yeah. Not kidding around, folks. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I am Ice Groot. and FireCon this year. I am Groot. I am tall and lean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't think of a better person to come on for the Storm of Swords prologue. We're going to talk a little bit about this prologue uh, and you know get talking about what's to come in the prologue for our favorite character chet but without micah we could not do it there are a bajillion named minor characters in this chapter that micah is gonna blow me away with reminding me about today so i'm excited yeah i cannot keep them straight in my head i read the chapter i looked some of them up again to remind myself and that's all gone i lost it all so micah will be here to keep us on track (laughs) <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so, not only that, we are also kicking off a new month. It is June, and that means that this month there will be a new Patreon episode for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above. That is to be determined. Yeah, TBA, TBA. However, at the time of the release of this, you can access May's episode, which was yes. on the Imagination Chamber by Philip Pullman. That was a fun episode. We got to kick back with a drink and just kind of unravel the new material Pullman gave us. So if you're into the His Dark Materials world and the Outer Trilogy books, check that one out at the Patreon feed if you're in the Stranger Tier and above. We will also be announcing later on this month our Discord brunch. Probably in our next episode we'll let you know when that's going to be, so stay tuned. But I'm, I'm very excited for our next episode because... We're going to kick it off into gear here with Micah after having a great episode with Alex last week on Crescent, or last episode. Our next episode that we're coming back with is Pate, of course, the A Feast for Crows prologue. And this is 
so exciting, featuring Nate from the Brotherhood Without Manners. I'm very excited to have Nate on, to have one of the duo of the Brotherhood Without Manners on. So Yeah, and you did recently... Actually, I don't know if it was recently or not. I lost all sense of time. (laughs) But you did do an episode with the Brotherhood Without Manners uh, regarding perhaps like adjacent topic when it comes to characters who overlap with the Faceless Men. Really funny now that you say that. Yes, it was Arya 8 in Storm. One of my favorite chapters, of course. You can guess why I liked it because one of my minor characters is talked about in it that uh, that I tend to gravitate (laughs) towards. Micah, you may know. Yeah, I I have no idea. We we all know, we all know who it is. Purple falls off buildings. Falls off, yeah. Normal things (laughs) that happen in this series. (laughs) This is that or death by childbirth. Okay, I mean, my God, pick one. Yeah. (laughs) She was handed two options: fall off the building (laughs) or die in childbirth. Yeah, that's just it. That's that's all anyone ever gets, you know. And then, of course, at the end of this month, we have our final His Dark Materials episode, which is super sad in many ways. Final of the main trilogy, at least. Our final Amber Spyglass episode. We uh, just put out our penultimate episode for the Amber Spyglass, so I'm excited to get to the end. I'm sad as well, but we're really excited because we're going to have Haley Bowery the front woman of the manimals and a wonderful artist and musician and a really dear friend of mine come on and talk about the saddest part of the main trilogy of his dark materials so yes and of course we'll be talking some of the stuff with the upcoming final season of the show as information is now coming out about that yeah we're getting some good previews on the final season of the adaptation we're finishing up a fun rewatch discussion on series two of His Dark Materials every Saturday at the Discord. I'm excited to see what comes when we get to season three, and we'll start putting out some episodes on that when it happens in the autumn. Yeah. Now, as for some emails and tweets of note, actually, everyone, you've done great now. Uh, there's actually a couple that we've gotten, especially in regards to a couple of other episodes, and we will definitely have some for next episode for Pate. Uh, including one from Micah, but I think we're going to have to double back on some of these thoughts sometime. I'm now backlogged. <laughs> all, I to, all I had to do was neg the audience a little. Not only that, but let's be real. Who's the coolest prologue chapter? The Alaris chapter, everyone. I mean, sorry, the Pate chapter. It's Alaris's chapter. Like, who's Pate? We don't know Pate. Literally, we don't know Pate literally don't Pate know dies. Pate. Yeah. Yeah, no one knows that boy. You Rip Pate to him, but... Yeah. Alaris is Alaris different is though. Lives, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, Alaris is going to outlast everyone in this fucking story. So, I think the true main character I mean, I think Alaris is going to be like our gender non-conforming leader of Dorne in the end. That's all who's oh, going to be left. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. Everyone else is going to die. Yeah, literally everyone else they're going to King's Landing where nukes are underneath <laughs> the ground. And Cersei is the queen basically. What do you think is going to happen? Wait. Uh, all of those all those old people that would argue are also gonna die, so you know. Rip to them, but I'm different. <laughs> I'm alive. Yep. That's different. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of people who aren't alive, let's talk about Chet. Oh man, that bitch dead. An off screen death though, right, as we're gonna get to. 
Yeah, actually, that's true. That's true. Like Veramir, he's the he's one of the few prologue characters that does not die immediately. He uh. dies about five minutes afterwards. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Very true. George Very wanted true. to break his streak, right? He was getting, he was like, all right, I'm starting to get predictable here. Let's kill him off the page. <sighs> yeah. But let's talk a little bit about Chet's life, unfortunately. We'll start off. What we miss, you know, our lightning round. And this one is, in fact, brief this time. It's just a tiny little flicker stick your hand in a socket as a child chet collected leeches with his father in the riverlands he later killed a woman who refused to sleep with him now he's at the night's watch this is his story bum bum <laughs> bum bum oh uh, yeah not much to tell and we're gonna unravel all of that as we go along and we start off at the very front with a of course, a little bit of a chilling scene. Ha. The weather is horrible. Yeah, chilling. Get it. And the dogs aren't catching the scent. One of the dogs smells a very large black bear, but returns in fear. The dogs are huddling together. What could it mean? Chet feels the cold, too, twisting his face. Never good when all you feel is the cold. Mm. Uh, love the bear right at the front also. Um, I love looking at these prologue chapters as kind of what they're encapsulating for the rest of the book right? You know, you get a lot of the vibes in Pate chapter throughout the entire Feast book and kind of what the direction of the book is going. Here in Storm with Chet, you have Jayor right up in center, the big black bear spooking their trail right at the front of the story, uh, all covered in hair. Oh, Very reminiscent that we open with the dogs fearing him. Very nice. And just as the dogs never find that bear, Chet and his gang never get to finish their plans. Also, as as you all know, we might have actually mentioned this before, but we do see that bear white later. So I wonder if that yes. means anything for Jayor. We might have said that before also, but yep. I mean, his skull. It is not a drinking implement in George R. R. Martin's adaptation. He didn't like that. And so he threw that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sam chapters, I think, right? We talked about that, I want to say. Probably. I think it came up. I think I wanna so. I want to say we talked about that. Yeah. Which wasn't even that long ago. I have no excuse. I should be safe back at the wall, tending the bloody ravens and making fires for old Maester Aemon. It was the bastard Jon Snow who had taken that from him. Him and his fat friend, Sam Tarly. It was their fault he was here, freezing his bloody balls off with a pack of hounds deep in the haunted forest. That was amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. So, uh, Yokeboy actually pointed this out, you know, again, in those same chapters that he did with us, the, the very first same chapter, which pretty much directly follows this in terms of that storyline. And, you know, like, how the fuck is it Sam and John's fault that Chet is here when Sam, who took over Chet's old job and probably feels much less physically equipped for this ranging and the fighting is also on this ranging LMAO. You, I mean, I'm just saying, Chet, you were going to go on this ranging no matter what, dude. <laughs> it's true. And it's kind of funny because I had never even considered it till now, but there's even a little bit of Littlefinger in Chet, mm. right? Like, had Littlefinger Absolutely. not risen through the ranks and been ambitious, had he gone this way, for example... And just bend the boy from the fingers, maybe even go to the Night's Watch for his horrible crimes against humanity. Against his me? guy's balter oh. ass crimes. He'd be with like yeah. the Sisterman right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So he's like a non he's like a less fake new money version of Littlefinger, I guess. This is it's interesting. It is interesting. 
We'll dig into that throughout this chapter. It's the only one Chet gets. Chet, who is also (laughs) scolding the dogs for their fear, but that makes the dogs only huddle more, and then mentions that dog meat would taste as good as bear meat, and I'm just, like, not sure of that. I just feel like the dogs, especially right now, are very, I don't know, spindly and thin, and the bears probably, like, got a lot of, like, fat on it, especially for the cold, and it's probably just more delicious. Chet's also a poor dog owner, so, you know. That's true. These yeah. are very undelicious dogs. I mean, yeah, you've, you've been starving them, as we're going to hear. Like, they're not even fattened up, first of all. You haven't treated them right. I also never hear about people eating bear meat, now that, that I think about it. I'm sure people do. I just, like, don't hear much about it. Like, we've discussed wal- Was it walrus? No, we've discussed seal meat. Seal meat before. Seal meat. Mm, that one sounds good. Anyway. I will also add, the other thought that comes to mind there is, like, the eating of the dogs, this is something that is kind of an abomination in some ways that you're raising dogs to eat them, right? Mm. People don't just, you know, do that usually. And obviously it's last chance, like they're hungry and they're cold. Yeah. And they need, there's no meat. People's teeth are getting loose. You know, I mean, that's, you need a little protein out there in them winters. But it's interesting that you have this versus Varamir later, right? Yeah. Like that Varamir, you know, he's not going to eat his own demons he's not gonna eat his uh his animal he's connected to yes absolutely lark the sisterman as we pointed out earlier is also here wearing black wool gloves but always complaining of his frozen fingers and he backs up the dogs he's like you know what the dogs are right it's too cold and the bear isn't worth it he doesn't say it like that he actually says it like much more worse because he sucks but it is kind of funny that you know lark the sisterman as the three sisters as you were saying right we're Lark would be from. Those are just north of the fingers. And his fingers are frozen. That's all. Just thought it was funny. Ah. Ah. (laughs) George. Pun. George. Clever. Small Paul doesn't want to go back empty-handed. He has frozen snot and a spear. We love him. Lark says, bugger that old bear too. Very cleverly. Hinting that Mormont will die soon. Is this foreshadowing? Oh. Is this foreshadowing? Is it? Looks at butterflies. (laughs) In fact, it feels like it. A butterfly. Wait. Oh, oh my god. Um, Chet realizes that Paul might have forgotten, like the whole plan. Right? He's like, "Oh, maybe, maybe Small Paul's not still on board." And Lark reminds everyone, "You know, this is why we have to kill Mormont. He's going to chase us down and kill us if not." Which is maybe true, maybe not. I don't know. I don't think they were actually that important. But the irony. Is that they are all already being hunted. Everyone. But the others. <laughs> the ice zombies. And the beautiful ice demons. Small Paul acquiesces to the plan. And Lark reminds them that they have to kill all of the officers. And Chet sighs and recounts the whole plan. Maybe he does it for the others and Small Paul. But really he does it for us, the reader. Because I definitely don't remember it. Because I didn't know it. So here's how it's <laughs> going to go. These are the following people who are going to die. The old bear. Blaine of the Shadow Tower, Grubs and Ethan, because they're on watch, Dywin and Bannon as trackers, and Samuel Tarly because of the ravens. And most of the targets actually do die eventually, the obvious exceptions being Dywin and Sam. We see Grubs, who it sounds like, it's like, ah, unfortunately Grubs is going to have to be killed because he's on watch. But he actually does end up betraying the watch anyway at Craster's Keep. Hmm. And then Bannon dies getting to Craster's. And of course, Gior gets Jon Snowed early. Mm-hmm. And yep. and at some point during the fist fight, Blaine dies somewhere. 
we don't know where. Yeah, that is like off off page. Yeah, there's a lot of those, especially at the yeah. fist fight, which we'll get around to some of them later. It's a really good way at how George balances all of his minor characters for the most part, where he introduces a whole lot of them and keeps them around just long enough and starts killing them off bit by bit. So as it doesn't seem too crowded all the time. Like he'll just mention grabs off handedly once and then never again. And he does this extremely delicately. And in this case, we're given a lot of characters who mostly die soon, like with Chet, Lark, Softfoot, and several people at the fist. Yeah, the balance is really important because it's like having too many minor characters that you're just keeping around gets really boring. You have to Mm -hmm. have some sort of spice or do something with them, even if they're being used as a device to move around or vehicle to move the Mm -hmm. plot around. The wall has a lot of that. There's a lot of plot that needs to be driven around at the wall to make things kind of set in motion, especially Mm -hmm. for John and Sam. Mm. And, you know, I'm watching a lot of The Walking Dead lately because it's been a good, fun rewatch. And that whole cycle, like you're bringing in side characters and you need us to be attached to them, but also need you to like, Forget about them enough so that when we kill them off, it means something or it's surprising. It gives a little bit of shock, but it's not just for shock value. It's just for tension, cohesive tension in the story mm-hmm. and storytelling. And I really like that. I think George does a great job of balancing that. And to sort of reference a different series that is as big as A Song of and Fire, Wheel of Time, which is something that I'm currently reading through and I'm 10 books out of 14 through. Wow. Oh my God. Damn. Micah, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of myself, too. I didn't think I would do it. But it has more minor characters than A Song of Ice and Fire does. There's around 2,700 characters in the entire series. But they're not not dealt with as delicately as we see here. A lot of them, it does feel like they take up space. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to read that and then look at the two series and be like, it's interesting to see how they're both approached and what's done with them yeah yeah i can understand you know the the desire to include a lot of minor characters in a book like wheel of time right for the world building to make the world feel fleshed out but as you said right there's a delicacy yeah in terms of not that kind of delicacy not like eating bear but you know um to balancing it and making it feel full and real yeah oh yeah that's a great point Chet reminds everyone that silence is important so they don't get caught, and then to Paul that it's third, not second, watch. Remember that. Paul will be with Softfoot then during third watch. He thinks the moon will be black tonight. They messed the watches so they'd have eight on sentry, two with horses. They want to escape before the free folk come for the wall. So this particular prologue is pretty interesting in how it's different from the other ones. All of them basically follow the same structure, right? Where something is introduced and there's a lot of world building slash exposition that is done through the storytelling that happens and sets things up for the rest of the book. And obviously this sets things up for this book, but in the first one, it's pretty obvious, right? Like literally the whole world is being set up. And the second one, as Alex pointed out in the Crescent prologue chapter, 
introduces us to Dragonstone and Stannis and Davos and this entire set of characters and what they're dealing with. The fourth prologue introduces us to Old Town, the Citadel, and, you know, other characters for, you know, Sam's Magical School arc. And the fifth <laughs> one is the most similar, I think, to this one in terms of we're already introduced to some, some of these concepts, uh, but and there's less need to build location and some of the characters, but it builds out more things, more world building in terms of the skin changing mechanic and the magic of the world. Whereas, you know, this one, not so much, right? After all of that world building happens in terms of the structure of these prologue chapters, each one of these ends very suddenly, like very, very close to the ending, right? And very specifically with a, a supernatural twist that often entails like the death of some sort of our prologue character. I feel like this third one stands out in that a lot of this isn't new to us at all, right? We're already familiar with this area north of the wall, thanks to John's POV, thanks to Will even, right? And to many of the big players in this cast. And we're familiar with the Night's Watch again because of the first prologue and John. And those all already introduced us to the threat of the Others and the Whites. So most of this exposition in this chapter ends up actually going solely just to Chet's characterization and to his plan to escape, and in regards to that structuring and dramatic tension, because we are told the plan, we know that it's going to fail, because that's just how the rules of writing are. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I do know why, but also that's just how it is. Even the way he draws, like, the moon across many of these chapters together, like, Will has the half moon across the black sky. Mm. There's no moon in the prologue but for Clash, but there is a comet. And then, of course, here we have the moon would be black tonight, that shut down and void of color that goes so well with the Night's Watch and, of course, the Three Horns. Mm. One thing I love about how this entire book is structured with its prologue and epilogue are the direct connections between the two, both with, like, Freys and Deaths, for example. We start with someone who's from the Freylands in the prologue. Oh. And end with another character who's from the Freylands being a literal Frey. And this chapter, of course, with its supernatural uh, ending, as you referenced earlier, is the arrival of the literal personifications of death in the form of ice demons and zombies. And the end of this book ends with the reveal of a resurrected major character. It's literally a perfect book. That's so great. Yeah, that's that's a great call out of how echoes from the start to the finish full circle strong yeah. yeah but in regards to what's happening here it was the biggest ranging in living memory it's a third of the watch's strength i mean we, you already know this but let's go over it again 300 brothers of the night's watch on the wall all seeking benjamin stark sir waymar royce and then we have like it literally says and the other rangers who'd gone missing you know, as they were finding out where the Free Folk had gone, and they hadn't learned more about the Rangers, but learned about the Free Folk who fled to the Frostfangs, but they're now coming down the Milkwater, and I'm like, damn. It's just the other Rangers who got missing. I was like, Garrett and Will don't even get named. Hurtful. <laughs> Which is a shame. Will and Chet both work as very interesting contrasts to each other in the class system of Westeros, given that they're low-born. Mm -hmm. We'll discuss it more, but we'll see Will is sent to the Watch for unfair reasons as wanting food. How terrible. And then there's Chet, who is sent for murder. He killed somebody. Right, absolutely. <laughs> they're equal. <laughs> well, they're supposed, they're to, equal. They're supposed to be, but Chet just clearly does not give a fuck about Will or Garrett. He's like, mm. 
Well, they probably weren't on his side. Yeah, Chet was like, I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will's just like, is there food? Can I have some gloves? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to lose my ears like old ass Garrett over here. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. My yeah. life. Uh, I love that we get this view of the milk water, right? Chet is looking up at it and it flows from frost fangs and he thinks of Mance and the free folk. They're so worried about these free folk. They are. They are. Until they aren't at the end of this chapter. <laughs> but I, I thought a little bit more about the name of the milk water this chapter just because it stood out to me, especially as we hear the wind later and it's described as howling like a hungry child, which is which is relevant. But I'm like, oh, yes, babies drink milk. <laughs> The milk water is really great. I think it's like the minor character of the rivers in terms Ooh. of what people talk about. It's very important. Appears often. Like we explore it throughout A Clash of Kings. I quite like the milk water a lot. I like that. That's a great point. Yeah, throughout John. Yeah. Mm. Who was a child? A baby once. An important well, baby. Well, <laughs> not just that, but also it reminds me of a very certain sword with the color that it is, right? Mm -hmm. Milk water, not yes. unlike Dawn. It yes. reminds me of the color of Dawn. Milk yeah. glass. Yep, exactly. So it makes yeah. me think of, you know, Quarren Halfhand and how he's Arthur Dick. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just no. oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Do you think that George came up with the name for the substance for milk glass when he was just like, you know, he had a cup and he's like, mm, my milk glass. It's popping. Yeah, while he was drinking his milk one morning. I don't know. And then he looked down at his turtle and he was like, it's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Great job, Moira. You're going in the story. I was going <laughs> to say, Moira, we've done it again. We've done it again. Um, you know who else has done it again? Thorin Smallwood. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it, Thorin. He came back recently with the report to the old bear of what had happened. Kedge White Eye told everyone else. He warns that Harma Dogs had had the van. Goaty crept up on Harma's camp. Tumberjohn wanted to aim an arrow to kill her, but Smallwood warned against it. There were about 20 to 30,000. Harma had 500 in the van alone, all with horses. This makes the men uneasy, as it was so rare and large. They're moving slowly. More than half are women and children driving their animals, goats, sheep, even aurochs. They're loaded up with seemingly everything they own. Following the milk water will take them by ancient fist of the first men where they're camped. Chet thinks it makes sense, right? Sense means to leave for them to go, but Mormont has camped even harder and is like, no, we live here now. They'll be engulfed and outnumbered, though, if they fight here. By, of course, not thousands of fighting live men who have families and animals with them. But actually, it's going to be undead, unstoppable hordes of whites. Yeah. Little bait and switch, right? Like, they really don't mm -hmm. get it? One of the things that are so great about this chapter is the constant bait and switches. Yeah. Constantly thinking about the mutiny, incoming free folk, and then, boom. Here's the others. And it's great because while they're so worried about it, you see the uh, intelligence is not fully, like, it hasn't clicked for him that it's a pilgrimage. Like, they have packed up everything they own, and they are making a move to run from something that is not the wall. They are running to, not from, you know, they're running towards 
Castle Black to make one last call for what? Mm-hmm. It's not worrying anyone in this chapter. Like, no one here is worried about that. They are so busy thinking about killing Jor. Yeah. Yeah. Except Small Paul. He wants a bird. Yeah. Yeah, that's that true. Too. That's the big picture. It's a mood. He's yeah. got a bird's eye view of the whole situation. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's a great point. Like, none of these people have the foresight to think, like, Oh, that should be concerning, right? They even have, they've even got their butter churners packed up, which I never even thought about <laughs> it. Of course they have butter churners. And Gotta eat. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't, like, think, I, I, I take for granted how we all have butter, you know? Mm-hmm. I made Chloe watch a lot of videos about butter this past weekend. <laughs> they were good videos. They were good. They were really good. So, Thorin Smallwood, who also is not thinking ahead, is like, we should attack we should kill them. <laughs> and we also get a few <laughs> character Thorne. mentions like Sweet Donnell Hill, Squire to Sir Malador Locke, who went to Locke's tent. Malador and Sir Oten Withers want to retreat, but we're convinced otherwise by Smallwood, saying that they have the element of surprise on our side. And interestingly, with Malador Locke, he is, of course, like, Locke is the house that's like, a subset to House Manderly. And Malador Locke is, out of all the commanders at the site, he's the one that we don't get confirmation of what happened to him at the fist fight. Hmm. So he's very probably definitely dead. But I I always find it interesting that George just didn't bother to give him like a... He got devoured by ten whites at once or something. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting, especially because we do have a Locke character, not this one, though, in the television yeah. series that we do know. There's a there's a Locke at the Red Wedding. Yeah, oh. that's true. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that might come back later, or he forgot, but that'd be interesting because you were saying that we kind of end up knowing what happens to all of those other minor characters, right, and how they end earlier on. So this one, hmm. Well, we didn't see him die on page. Yep, he's with Stone exactly. Snake. Yep. That'd be interesting. That would be... I'd be happy if they came back. <laughs> Something would be nice, right? I don't know, it's an idea. Something, anything. It's an idea. <laughs> so, Donald says most of the host is useless and unused to battle, easily sent back. Chet feels like the numbers aren't looking good for them, that this is mad and matter, that Malador was convinced and Mormont was on the way. Smallwood says, we may never get a chance like this again. We have a passage. Against that, Sir Otten Withers said, we are the shield that guards the realms of men. You do not throw away your shield for no good purpose. But to that, Thorin Smallwood said, in a sword fight, a man's surest defense is the swift stroke that slays his foe, not cringing behind a shield. Mormont is still waiting to hear from other scouts. Jarman Buckwell and men on the giant stare for Corrin Halfhand and, hey, Jon Snow, we know him. Buckwell and Halfhand are late in returning. Halfhand, as we know, is never returning. Chet thinks they're dead, picturing it and kind of hoping it for Jon. And he's like, I hope they killed Ghost, too. Asshole. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Who's, who says something like that? About a dog? A big right? fluffy boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wolf he would Luke? do it himself, I guess, if he could. Yeah, that's true. He's just jealous. He's just jealous because he's like, that's a way cooler dog than mine. Yeah. 
Chet decides that there is no bear. They should start back. Not without ha. language. I just thought that would be fun. Uh, to the fist. The dogs also seem to like that idea. And it's... Chet thinks, oh, maybe they think they'll get fed. Lol. And I'm just like, um... <laughs> what the fuck? We have this passage of... Chet had to laugh. He hadn't fed them for three days now to turn them mean and hungry. Tonight, before slipping off into the dark, he turned them loose among the horse lines after Sweet Donnell Hill and Clubfoot Carl cut the tethers. There'll be snarling hounds and panicked horses all over the fist, running through fires, jumping the ring wall and trampling down tents. I'm trying to channel Micah's energy here. With all the confusion, it might be hours before anyone noticed that 14 brothers were missing. Again, what the fuck? Yo, what the fuck? This dude sucks. Um, he's the worst. These are like casual thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. These aren't even. It reminds me casual. of casual. It reminds me of somebody else in the story. Who could it be, Chloe? <sighs> it's real Ramsey hours, right? Like a lot of this is very Ramsey. Chat has also, also. So there's a lot. Like you kind of touched on, Micah. There's a lot to connect this to some of the other characters in the story and some of the other broader themes of the story, especially in Storm. And he also kind of reminds me a bit of Theon in his very mm. charming ways during Clash. Uh, even something about this right here with the panicked horses, though, makes me think of Smiler and Ramsay's arrival with Winterfell, right? Save me the phrase, the bastard was shouting as the flames roared upwards, and burn the rest, burn it, burn it all. The last thing Theon Greyjoy saw was Smiler, kicking free of the burned stables, his mane ablaze, screaming, rearing. <laughs> Sorry, Smiler. And like, speaking of saving, save me the phrase, Chet makes me think of little Walder Frey, who is, mm. in case everyone forgets which one is big Walder and which one's little Walder, little Walder is the shorter, or the, he's a big bully boy, and is basically mentored by Ramsay in A Dance with Dragons, so like... I think that if I were to imagine little Walder grown up, he would resemble Chet. He would just be Chet. Interesting. Interesting. That's a great way to look at him, especially because, like, there, there's some setup, right? Like, Chet coming from Hagsmire, as we mentioned. The book actually has a really great mirror that it blends with the Frey epilogue because we have Merit going kind of towards Hagsmire and the rivers. Uh, it's a literal Hagsmire. Because you have Stoneheart, a witch, or a hag, an old crone, Ooh. waiting at the end of it, at the mire. And Asos Cat 5, the fifth chapter for Cat and Storm of Swords, takes partial place there. Uh, they're on the way toward there after Old Stones to meet with the group, and that's where everybody is kind of going to go from for the next move. There's some great connections there with the Merit epilogue versus this prologue, and it's well-rounded, especially since we come right back to Old Stones and Hagmire. And... Walter Rivers is the one who sent him to the watch, right? He comments on it. This is such a perfect full circle. He comments how he's like, it wasn't even Walter Frey that did it. It was Walter Rivers. Yeah. Walter Rivers is even, he's, there's, there's this whole through line throughout this book about bastards hating bastards and whatnot. And mm -hmm. Walter Rivers is another one of those. I, I'm, I'm like, there's an AU somewhere where Chet and Walter actually sat down, talked things out, and they became like, <laughs> Frenemies, pals, roommates, or something. I don't know. Yeah, something. Absolutely, because there's even... There's all of this, like, obvious foreshadowing for maybe some John stuff to come in the future. Mm. And 
Also, the obvious foreshadowing setting up Jayor's death by betrayal, and also John's later betrayal, following that same thing. Yes, exactly, betrayal. Uh, but there's even outlines of Bolton betraying Robin this, right? Like, mm-hmm. red wedding mirrors are really strong in this first area. Uh, we'll get into it in a bit, but there's even, like, an exact line that matches some of the stuff Roos does. So, interesting, interesting, interesting. It is interesting that we're getting that perspective now. You know, Chet as a stand-in for all of those people. Walter Rivers is interesting, though. I do hope we get more of him. Definitely. And then less. Well, he's around where, uh, he's searching around for, like, the Blackfish and the Brotherhood right now at the end of Feast. Yeah. Oh. So he's he's in with all that right now. He's in the mm-hmm. the fray shenanigans. <laughs> well, back to north of the wall. Lark wants twice the amount of people, but Chet thinks you can't tell too many people like secrets, right? You can't tell too many of the secrets either because that's gonna leak. He's like fourteen's a good number. Most of them were actually recruited by Chet, natural born leader. Yep. Although I think Chet should have gotten about six more, and then I think he could have pulled it off with like efficiency. I think yeah, you're right. Twenty really good men. Yeah, that's what he needed. Yep. He yep, needed a good 20. middle ground between Lark's idea and Chet's. Yeah. And it's a bummer because we know that Small Paul is their strongest, right? Thick yes. as a castle wall, as we hear. He Aww. is uh, yeah. probably a descendant of yep. Dunky Dunkaroos. <laughs> but also like we know he died and yeah. he goes to the other rip. team so rip but he died valiantly yeah <laughs> nobly valiantly <laughs> he died all the same my god yeah he died saving one of the people so that deaths. he had planned to cook had so planned to death. kill <sighs> yeah. he didn't know better he just was promised a bird yeah like, we see that he's just this is bullshit leave him alone oh uh, i know they <laughs> we did and now he's anyway yeah, he's gone they also have Dirk, who's good with a Dirk, which is why he is called Dirk. Shocking. And Sawfoot, a rapist. And not just like a rapist, like the rapist, like he, hundreds of rapes, rapists, just to clarify. Uh, very, very horrible character. Also, I know it's not quite the same, but the 14 recruited people is interesting. Uh, that he has like 12 is how many were there for the Last Supper, mm-hmm. right? So almost like Last Supper betrayal vibes, but also reminds me of the Bastards Boys. Ooh, yeah, having his own little group of oh. fucked up mini assassins. You, the Masters yeah. boys even have their own kennel master with Ben Bones. Oh, yeah. And you have Damon Dance for me, who's kind of like Lark. Yeah, very similar. That's wow. interesting. And then so many echoes. And then your Softfoot, who Softfoot gets what I am hereby dubbing the Ben Frey treatment, <laughs> TM, where someone who is superbly awful just the worst gets to die off page like a total loser and ben frey of course is the frey that daisy mormont clubs over the head at the red wedding with a wine bottle and he later dies to the injury thanks micah for reminding me of that today yeah i appreciate it (laughs) yeah Yeah. (gasps) that was nice always gotta give daisy her dub she got one oh my god oh my god (laughs) I like that, though, uh, the Ben Frey treatment, as opposed to, you know, like, the Kristen Cole treatment. Dying on... I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things, I guess, that he fits, but one of them is dying on page. Yeah. Uh, Chet, of course, is none of this, because he's actually the mastermind, right? Chet is not like Softfoot. He is the mastermind. He's the main character. He's meant for big things in this chapter. He had to be clever, having stewarded for Aemon 
until John and Sam came along to ruin it. He's like he's like one of those minor villains from like a rogues gallery of like Batman or Superman who just goes curses foiled again <laughs> every time he loses and he loses all of the time. He really Yeah, does. I think about uh what is it? The dad from Fairly Odd Parents. Here's Aww. where I'd put my steward's apron if I still had one. <laughs> Uh, he has this whole like ruse like plan to say give my love to John to Lord Snow when he kills Sam that's his whole goal so again very ruse very ruse there's more ruse to come in him too he's not worried about the ravens he knows them very well and he thinks a knife will make Sam pee with fear and then he's just gonna free the birds and really cause chaos Softfoot and Smallpaw are supposed to kill Mormont Dirk, Blaine, Lark and his cousins Bannon and Old Dywin They've been storing food for a fortnight, and Donnell and Carl will ready the horses. Then, when Mormont's dead, Command goes to Otten Withers, who's old, and will quickly head back to the wall. Heading back to the fist, though, it's dark. Mormont's lit torches are like a ring wall on the hill, and the icy water in the brook is suckling. So, when I read the bit of the prose here for the ring wall, it made me think of a certain thing about how you have... The big, like, fence, the, the big ring wall around it, and then torches lit along top of it. It specifically is mentioned to resemble a crown. I can't help but think of a certain oh. crown of flames that's intended oh. to be used for defense against the free folk. It looks like Stannis. Yeah. Like, I love these types of things where George does his foreshadowing that's not just from dialogue. It's from prose and imagery. And here we have a crown of flames that's standing against a long night. I love that. That's really, that's a great call out. I, yeah, I wonder how we're gonna, I, I think you're onto something and that'll come back to play somehow. It's all echoing somehow and one day we'll know. We'll know. Well, it even reminds you of the glass candles later too, you know? Mm, yes. So true. Some good candle themery in these prologues. Yeah. Yeah. I also appreciate how Micah keeps calling it the fist fight. I'm like, it is, isn't it? I was waiting for somebody to catch that. I was playing before this episode. I'm like, I'm only going to call it the fist fight. <laughs> I think I think that's another thing that I feel like you've caught on to something. I feel like George thought that would be very clever. I feel like that's something that he had in his mind. Yeah. Panic at the fist fight. <laughs> there is panic. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of panicking. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. jump into uh, that. Panic, not know? yet, though. Not Lark yet. is not panicked yet. He's thinking to the future. He's got this idea of, like, where he and his cousins will head to the coast and, like, make a boat and sail back to the sisters, because I guess some of his cousins got sent to the watch, too. And uh, then Chet thinks, And at home they'll know you for deserters and lop off your fool heads, thought Chet. There is no leaving the Night's Watch. Once you said your words, anywhere in the Seven Kingdoms, they'll take you and kill you. All of Lopin now, he was talking about sailing back to Tyrosh, where he claimed men didn't lose their hands for a bit of honest thievery, nor get sent off to freeze their life away for being found in bed with some knight's wife. Chet had Wade going with him, but he didn't speak their wet girly tongue. And what could he do in Tyrosh? He had no trade to speak of growing up in Hagsmire. His father had spent his life grubbing in other men's field and collecting leeches. He'd strip down bare for a thick leather clout and go wading in the murky waters. When he climbed out, he'd be covered from nipple to ankle. Sometimes he made Chet help pull the leeches off. One attached itself to its palm once, and he'd smash it against a wall in revulsion. His father beat him bloody for that. The maesters bought the leeches at twelve for a penny. Part of what we'll see happen later is that what Chet says 
does technically come true for Olo Lophand, who stays behind at the Craster's Keep and does the betraying there. Bran notices a one-handed man is one of the hunted watchmen that Cold Hands gets and feeds to people. <laughs> Yum. Move over, bear meat. Move over, dog meat. We got people meat. <laughs> Delicacies. Uh, yes. Great follow-up on what happens with Olo Lophand. And I just realized this. The one had attached itself to his palm once and he'd smashed it against the wall in revulsion. Is there some wordplay there about this, like, fist? Oh. And then a wall. I don't know. Could be looking too much into it. No. no I think you're I think that's right. kind of the language used, right? In the fist of the first men and them being smashed on the fist is often used. So that's interesting. Right. I don't think it means anything deep if... Besides George be like, oh, this be funny. It, uh, it, it goes back to the sword and shield thing that Otten Withers and Thorn Smallwood were talking about. Mm. The big shield is what protects everybody, and Thorn brings out the sword, and it gets broken to a million pieces like Waymar Weiss's sword. Oh, yes, and then they're left without a shield and without a sword. That's an interesting yeah, way to see that metaphor and how... And the ramifications, right? Yeah. So something that's in this passage, right? It's Chet is an idiot for many reasons. <laughs> One of which is him thinking that the Tairoshi dialect is stupid, which it is it is a dialect and not a language, by the way, right? It's not its own tongue, wholly. And also for being an, an allegedly girly tongue. And he's like, I hate that language because of that. And I'm like, that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Many ways that he is dumb, and in some ways, I mean, yeah, I do feel for Chet feeling stuck in his position at the Night's Watch. We've had a lot of discussion about class in the Night's Watch, and he didn't have access to some of the other stuff that comes with nobility. Not just, like, connections and station, but also things like literacy, right? Or even trades or classes. And as you all know, that is a big part of why he lost his job as Eamon Stewart, not being literate. And I've was I've just been kind of mulling like why I feel so annoyed at Chet's thought process here, and a big part of it is that he just is horrible, and I feel like that could stand on its own. But the chapter does go through a lot of lengths to show us how terrible he is, so let's talk about it a little with this. He's very clearly entitled. We'll talk a bit more about that, and I think there's merit to thinking like, yeah, why would I go to Tyrosh? There's nothing there for me or whatever. Like, how would I survive when I don't know anything or any trade? Instead, like, his plan is, I'm going to take Crasser's Keep, which is worse than running away to Tyrosh. And I think there's respect, right? Like, Olo is going back to Tyrosh because he's trying to escape a system that was killing him, that took his hand and his freedom. Just, you know, a little bit like how the free folk, they're migrating to escape a huge enemy that is killing them, this large mass exodus. And all these people, from all to the free folk, they are picking up their whole lives to try to start over somewhere else that's unfamiliar. And just like, oh, that's too hard. And I'm like, no, you just didn't want to try. You thought you deserved to get laid for picking flowers. Like, even I've put in more effort than that to get laid, <laughs> Chet. Like, you said watching Eamon was the easiest job you ever had to do. Like, you had so much free time, you didn't have to do anything, and it was super lucky for you, and you weren't qualified for this job, and I'm just like, well... And you still beefed it. You still beefed it. Right, you still fucking beefed it. He had a chance to, like, make good on it. 
Because, like, all lost the hand for thievery, and that's a little bit like Davos, who loses a bunch of fingers for being lowborn and for smuggling even though he saved everyone's fucking life, right? And he's helping run this circus of a kingdom while learning to read. He is not qualified initially. And you know what he does? He steps up. He's like, I'm going to learn how to read. And I'm like, Chet, you had all this fucking free time. You could have learned to read, and you didn't, all right? If he wanted to, he could learn a new language. Yeah, it's hard. Okay? And you could learn a new trade somewhere else. People do it all the fucking time. People immigrate or they're refugees or people just literally like learn new skills to survive mm -hmm. all the fucking time and find honest hard work and you just didn't want to. It's evolution too. Yeah. It's just life. It's Chet long, sucks. long, long and hard, 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 oh Chloe. God. But You got it, Eliana. This guy sucks. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's <laughs> literally evolve or get eaten. You know, get yeeted out of life, dude. Like, the ice zombies are coming for you. So if you don't keep up, they will. Like, that seems pretty pointed, chat. You dumb bitch. Yeah. He should really read these books, yep. is all I'm saying. He should. Uh, yeah. But he wouldn't. <laughs> that's, again, because that's, yeah. If he did, he would be the one to be like, well, you shouldn't read modern <laughs> things into this series. He'd be that Because kind. I can't. Yeah. No one else should. <laughs> See? Yeah. yeah. He doesn't understand it, so therefore you can't do it. Uh, yeah. And through all this, he actually decides he's not going home, right? He's like, I'm going to Craster's Keep. Craster has the right idea. He fancies making a banner of leeches on pink and going for kingship, not just lordship. I mean, Mance did it. Why couldn't he? He starts thinking about ops, putting the old woman to work, cleaning, cooking, harvesting, raping the young ones. Uh, small Paul will hug Craster to death, is what he thinks. This is, the Boltonness is so much. That line that he actually thinks, he goes, why stop at being a lord? Maybe he should proclaim himself king. And even his banner reminds me of the Boltons. It reminds me of Roos's cloak at the Red Wedding. A man in dark armor and a pale pink cloak spotted with blood stepped up to Rob. Jamie Lannister sends his regards. There's so much of... As we keep hinting at, there's just so much Red Wedding in this chapter because Chet is not only from the freelance, he's also got all this Bolton stuff with the leeches and pink. And mm -hmm. it's so clever of George. <laughs> clever, George. Great job. Yes, there there is. Like, I've... Until this reread, I never noticed how much was in there. And I'm sorry, everyone, if you can hear the ice cream truck that is outside my window tonight. Oh my god. But. Chat thinks the only women he knew were sex workers in Molestown. When younger, the village girls were too disgusted by his face and his boils. Retinol would fix that, Chat. No, I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. The worst was Slatten Bessa. She'd spread her legs for every boy in Hagsmire, so he figured, why not him too? He even spent a morning picking wildflowers when she when he heard she liked them, but she just laughed in his face and told him that she'd crawl in a bed with his father's leeches before she'd crawl in one with him. She stopped laughing when he put his knife in her. That was sweet, the look on her face, so he pulled the knife out and put it in her again. When they caught him down near Seven Streams, old Walter Frey hadn't even bothered to come himself to do the judging. He'd sent one of his bastards, that Walder Rivers, and the next thing Chet had known, he was walking to the wall with that foul-smelling black devil Yorin to pay for his one sweet moment. They took his whole life. But now, 
He meant to take it back. And Craster's woman, too. Wow, so unfair. That This is his payment for the one sweet moment of a murder. I have many to read throughout this chapter. One of them is, there is something to be said about how Chet, who never sees women and girls as people, but as something to be used, taken, put to his work, put to work for his benefit, gets turned into a white, aka a body that is being used by the others. And Micah, as you pointed out earlier, Chet is here for actual murder, unlike folks like Will or Allo or even Darian the singer from Sam's chapters. And let's talk about him in the context of Allo and Darian there for a moment. In Catelyn, Storm One. I discussed the spectrum by which uh, women's bodies in Westeros exist for the use and pleasure of men, right? The sex workers who died for sleeping, Wood Lannisters, and the other lowborn women that the other men or highborn men take pleasure from in order to, you know, preserve the purity of the highborn women, right? It's just accepted. And that is to protect the highborn women as being like these pure vessels. And again, still all of, all of them all his property, all existing on that same spectrum of patriarchal subservience. And it's telling that Allo and Darian are sent to the Night's Watch for sleeping with women or or with girls because Darian and his lover were both teenagers and very young and puberty is, you know, it's time, it's time. And that both were the wife and daughter of nobility, respectively, or of high, more highborn people, respectively. And the logic behind them being sent to the Wall, it's not that... Like, it's not that different from when Will was sent to the watch for poaching, nor Allo losing a hand for thieving. The logic that sends Allo and Darian to the wall is that they took something that was the property of someone of higher station. That being women, right? And this is incomparable to Chet, because, again, Chet murdered someone, which is... In the context in which it happened, it was an act of sexual violence, but sexual violence doesn't necessarily always get punished, nor get you sent to the wall, which is why Softfoot is brought up in the chapter, because he raped hundreds of women and never saw punishment until, we don't know, how many, what, what hundredth, you know? Hundreds is, that's a big spectrum of people, right? Perhaps the reason he finally got sent was because he raped the wrong woman in terms of was she some high-class person's wife or daughter property, right? Or there's also that, was it that his crimes were so numerous that he could no longer go ignored because he was disrupting the Lord's order and peace? Um, law, the, the word of the king, right? Anyway, Chad is a bad person who was sent to the watch for murdering someone because I guess she didn't want to sleep with him and he blames her for being disgusted with his boils when probably it was actually his personality. And even if it was his boils, I'm like, Bessa still didn't deserve to die because people's sexual advances get rejected all the time. Sometimes rudely, I have had my sexual advances rejected. And did anyone die? Only me, a little bit on the inside. But actually, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I am fine. And... Chet is entitled and lazy and thinks that Craster is living like a king because he's being served versus coming back to things that happen in this book, right? The argument that Davos makes to stand is of, you know what kings are actually like? They should be protecting the realm. Or, for example, he's like, I want to be living like Mance Raider, who's a king, and that's Craster. And it's like, no, they're literally like different people. Like, you, they're very, living very different lives. And Mance worked very, very hard. <laughs> Yeah, like, Mance literally had to fight at least a few of those chieftains we get to meet 
He's fought Stir, we know that. He probably had to fight Tormund, probably through drinking with Tormund. <laughs> He's probably had to fight Harmit Dog's Head, the Weeper, loads of them. And like, the life that Chet wants to see for himself, we do see a version of that in Adelwada when Bran sees those nice watchmen that Cold Hands hunts down. They mm. had to leave the keep because they had to go out looking for food because they used it all up because they're all greedy assholes. Yes. And they end up wandering around and starving and dead and completely left behind in the story. Dead and terrible and dead. Indeed. Wait, they are wrong, those things. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> but they're all connected. But that's a that's a great point of how they use up. They just consume everything. They don't have any idea of how to protect, how to make things work, right? They just want to take, yeah. take, take. And maybe it's because it's all they've ever known. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think they just kind of suck. <laughs> Some of them just kind of suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other part of that that I find so interesting, even like, again, back to Storm of Swords as a book, you know, we have a really big scene of violence against Shay later, right? Shay's death at Tyrion's hands, uh, sexual violence there, and her dying, and so to start the book with this big uh, declaration of the violence that he's committed against someone, it's also interesting in looking at the Pate prologue and looking at the way Pate idolizes Rosie, right? Mm, uh, the yes. way that he loves Rosie and he's showing up with flowers every day, buttercups for Rosie himself. And it's almost like a nega Pate, right? Like, yes. if Pate had gone a little bit, yeah. leaned a little incel on it. This would have been what Pate would be like if Rosie had declined his advances. Instead, Pate died. Yeah. Which is even Absolutely. more interesting given that Pate is an alternate universe Samwell. Yeah. Died. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. There's layers to this. <laughs> this There are layers to this. And Hagsmire, a swamp, a bog. Mm-hmm. There's a whiteboard with sticky notes and red yarn <laughs> attached to all the different ones. Connecting it all. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's in the shape of a rose, like rose. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Regarding everything that you said, and it all it all comes together. Pates a dingus, and Chet's a worse dingus. Chet sucks. Chet, Chet. I don't know. He's not. He deserves stronger words than a dingus, but he <laughs> fucking sucks, and he's terrible, and he deserves to die, and oh he does. Yeah. True. <laughs> well, he actually. I don't know. No, true. Not that I'm like being like death penalty, but like he's he's a murderer. I don't know. He's like almost. He's like almost there, right? Like there's an aspect in which he's like, oh, I could be like man. So I'm like, I see it. You want to survive. You were trying to survive mm-hmm. from this thing, and then he just picks the worst fucking way to go about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, again, Shad. He's like, I'm gonna get it all back. I'm gonna get back everything that was ever taken from me. Using Craster's women, he's like, no more wooing women or trying to get them to like me, only taking slash raping them. And I'm like, wow, that was the lesson you took from this. Interesting. He reassures himself of their plan and that Auten's command will outweigh all the rest. Besides, he'll be gone if Smallwood wants to make attacks. Then he has a new idea. If everyone dies, everyone will think maybe they did too and never look for them. But then they'll have to just kill so many people, and that just sounds like a lot. Chad reminds me of, like, a far worse version of a character from the hit 
and very un- actually it's kind of a hit but it's very underspoken of cult classic mega mind by dreamworks Interesting. and there's a character in there who is a bit of a you know quote a nice guy mm-hmm. who gets rejected by the girl and then he uh, is given superpowers because plot and then he goes on his wild tangent and is like if i can't have you i'll just take you just making me think of the character that jonah hill voices in megamind it's really funny it's a name. perfect animated uh voice actor for it personal like, yeah jonah could play chat jonah hill could play chat i should have done a jonah hill impression shoot <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Small Paul brings to the center of the table the most important thing, the fucking bird. He's like, who's going to kill Mormont's bird if Mormont's dead? Chet's like, well, I can kill the bird. And Paul's like, no, what if the bird tattles on us? And Lark calls him thick as a castle wall, which Paul doesn't take very well, but he really should. He has some of the best genetics in the whole entire country. The genetics that come from the line that fucks. When Chet says people Uh will know Mormont's been murdered on account of the slit throat and blood without the bird. So Paul's like, you're right. The best idea is for me to keep the bird. And they're like, yes, Paul, that is the best idea. Lark says they could eat it. But Paul's like, no, that's my borb. That is my literal bird friend. How dare you? And Paul's actually right because the bird would absolutely like yell at Chet and just scream traitor, traitor, traitor Mm. the entire time. I mean, the bird would tattle on them. What happens yeah, if true. he eats the bird while Blood Raven's in it, dude? Well, <laughs> Veramir POV. There you go. <laughs> what happens if the bird dies while someone's in it? Dun dun dun. I'm sure Blood Raven's been through that many times. Actually, just some more trauma. About it. Yeah. yeah just, What's one it's more? Just more? What's trauma? one more trauma? Yeah. Well, it's that's what he's going to tell Bran in the Winds of Winter. But that's the thing: one more trauma. That's a lot of what Varamir's POV covers. You know, some of that craziness. So that's that's a great connection. Is Blood Raven unhinged? from having died so many times. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) I would like to buy a couple vowels, a couple consonants. We're going to go. Yes. Absolutely. So, finally, they near the fist, and they see some of the watchmen practicing firing arrows at carvings on trees. I was like, oh, how funny. They are carving outlines of peoples into the trees when we know that the weirwoods have faces carved into them. Speaking of, you know, weirwoody things. Ooh. And then they suck even more because they make fun of Sam and his weight calling him a pig and Sir Piggy, and just seeing Sam makes Chet mad as he thinks about the role that was stolen from him, and again, how easy his life was under Eamon, who had never hit him once. Welcome, Chet's dad, to the very, very, very long list of Westeros' bad dads. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, (laughs) on one hand, I understand this is supposed to make me feel bad for him, but I'm like, I don't know. Other people had worse dads, like Sam, who got hit a lot by like his Sam. dad. Like Sam. Yeah, exactly. trying to get murdered by his dad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. She's yeah. like, oh, he had it so easy. And I'm like, he did not. He has this little internal passage. Think he can just walk in and shove me out on account of being highborn and knowing how to read. Might be I'll ask him to read my knife before I open his throat with it. That sounds like a line I would come up with. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, 
Uh, Chet stays back to watch, and then he kicks a dog. Again, if you... Yeah. It's Chet. Just gotta make sure we know that he sucks. Kick a dog. Yeah. <laughs> gotta make sure it's in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he laughs at Sam's difficulty shooting when an arrow disappears. Ed is less pleased. He says that he'll probably be blamed for it going missing, like the last time he lost a white horse in the snow. It's in King's Landing. It is in King's Landing. Watch season eight. <laughs> Gren is coaching Sam, who complains. Ed makes some seasonal snow jokes. Chet's still laughing. On his last arrow, Sam hits the outline in the chest, and he's excited and proud until he sees Chet. Chet's like, it's just a tree. Now try it with a manse whose men will kill you. Sam is shaking with anger, but Ed calms him with a good comeback. And Ed asks, is that what happened to Chet? That an axe split his head and half his wits spilled out? <laughs> Mood. I can't believe Chet dies twice in this series. The second time is to the ice zombies. He becomes white. The first time is right here when he gets burned. Chet was a true song yes. and fire. Sorry to break it to everybody. Yes. He, Chet he dies to both. in that snow to deal with that burn. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Wikipedia right now trying to find him the closest burn center to Hagsmire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll call... I'll call Callan. <laughs> I'll get him an she appointment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get him an urgent care appointment. Oh my god. Molestown urgent care. Don't send him to Molestown. I'm worried if he goes to Molestown. Worried for those people. We like Molestown. <laughs> yeah. So from this fantastic bird from Ed, Gren laughs and Sam smiles, and then Chet just kicks another dog and then yanks the dogs up the hill and Chet wishes he could kill Ed too for making this like fantastic joke and everyone laughing. And I'm just like, Chet's disgust at Sam, Gren and Ed laughing at him for being mean, which to be honest, Chet brought him, brought on himself. He could have just stood there or like moved on with his life, keep his big ass mouth shut. But no, he had to go and insult Sam for like, and for what, you know, for what being happy that Sam made progress for once. And like, because of that, and how he wishes that Ed would die, like, and all these people die for laughing at him. He's really motivated by this injured pride. And that's what opens this book. And also, I think, kind of paves the way for Tywin, right? Tywin ends up being a really big deal in A Storm of Swords. And also, if you can't take it, don't dish it, Chet. Yeah, that's for fucking sure. Chat keeps kicking dogs as he goes up the slope. Like, this is just a personality trait, which is ugly. It's ugly, <laughs> honey. Uh, and he explains to Mormont later that dogs wouldn't follow the prince. Probably because, you know. Anyways. Jaywar is sad because fresh meat would have been good for all. And the raven says, meat, meat, meat. Which, again. That's not a raven voice. <sighs> meat, meat, intimidating. meat. More like, Yikes. Yikes, because we have that cannibalism through line. We have that Veramir chapter right there again. Uh, Chet thinks they could eat the dogs, that it's the last time he'll bow to Jor, and it's growing colder? It's probably just the winds. <laughs> of winter. Of winter. <laughs> it's here! Oh. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Under your chair. Uh, look under your chair, everyone. <sighs> Chet's tempted to join the dog cuddle puddle for warmth. He doesn't deserve it, though. They should eat him or reject him, hopefully. Uh, instead, he does a circuit to keep moving and keep warm. The wind was rising as the shadows lengthened. It made a high, thin sound as it shivered through the stones of the ring wall. I hate that sound, Little Giant said. It sounds like a babe in the brush, wailing away for milk. 
Yeah, the wind sounds like that because that's probably what it is. <laughs> oh, I mean literally, literally, yeah, probably baby yeah. White Walkers. Mm-hmm. Oh shit! Speaking of Craster, oh shit! Yeah, shit! It's Craster. Yep, it's Craster's sons. They're coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, after his circuit, <gasps> Chat meets Lark and the dogs. Lark says the officers are all in Jor's tent with serious talk. If Chat was Cersei Lannister, he would just bomb the tent, but he's no no brave soldier. That's what they do, said Chet. They're highborn, all but Blaine. They get drunk on words instead of wine. <sighs> so this is this is a great line, but made even greater by Micah's delivery. But a fantastic example of Chet's distaste for like the highborn. It comes from jealousy. Uh, and it's not because he's a revolutionary, which sucks. Because, again, great sentiment, you know? Uh, but he he wants to recreate what he thinks that the highborn people have at Craster's Keep. And, I don't know, Chet would just absolutely 100% be a class traitor. <laughs> and this comes in remarkable contrast to Will, who is... They're both, like, lowborn, as we've said, but Will is far more surrendered to where he is put. He knows that it's wrong and everything, but he's more concerned with his next meal, having some mm. gloves because it's cold out. And whereas Chet is far more bitter and he's taking it out on everybody else and he's not seeing the big picture for what it is, even though he literally just laid out the problem just right there at his feet. He just said what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah, if he could, like, put that brain to use, he could have actually made good change, but Chet's just a terrible person who kicks dogs. He kicks down, you know? <laughs> Time and to channel yeah. that energy. You've all been talking about how he's a lot like Ramsey, and he, it's because he's a bully. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lark complains about small Paul and the bird. Food for the bird. And Chet's like, a raven eats corpses. Lark jokes, maybe Paul... Maybe Paul's, but Chet hopes it's Lark's corpse. And both Chet and Lark are gonna get taken out by co- Cold Hands Ravens later. Oh, lucky Good. them. Good. Poetic. <laughs> Chet thinks that Paul seems more useful than Lark, which, yes, we love small Paul. Also, much of what annoys Chet when it comes to Lark, I think it's just a reflection of Chet's own meanness. But, I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's true. And it's twilight soon, and by that time, Lark goes away, and it's still really cold. The dogs whimpered when the sun went down. He gave them water and curses. Half a night more, and you could find your own feast. By then, he could smell supper. Damn, he's just gonna abandon them? My god. Animal abuse. (gasps) I know. This guy is the worst. (laughs) Chat gets hard bread, bean, and bacon soup from Hake. He doesn't deserve it. And Dywin says it's too quiet. There are no frogs, no owls, nor wolves out there making noise. Chet thinks they must have gone someplace warm. Yeah, it's true. The Starks went south. <laughs> and also, like, Dywin is such a great constant of being the one in north of the wall and around the wall who's like, guys, this is suspicious. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and and then John sent him away. And now we don't know where <sighs> well, he is. that is what he tends to do, isn't it? That Johnny boy. Yeah. That Johnny boy. Yeah. We like Dywin. I do like Dywin a lot, actually. Yeah. 
Four of the dozen brothers by the fire are part of this plan. Dirk, Sweet Donald Hill, Sawwood, and Maslin, the last whom Chet thinks he has to keep an eye on and watch. Going to turn the camera on to Sweet Donald Hill for a second because I think hmm. he's an interesting minor character, even though he appears all of four times. But later, we're going to see him make it back to the wall and not be a traitor. In fact, he's going to be one of the guys who's willingly following John's orders and yeah. doing stuff. But he's also a bastard of the Westerlands, and he's rumored to be a bastard of a Lannister. And hmm. I like the idea that he could be Jirion Lannister's bastard. Oh, I like Ooh. that. And that also adds another bastard into the through line of this chapter of bastards. Ah, the battle of the bastards, huh. truly. Interesting. Indeed. Yeah, he just got roped in because he wanted to live. Ain't that how it goes? My god. Yeah. My god. Well, unless you're Softfoot. <laughs> the name is so funny. It just makes you think of Littlefoot from Land Before Time. And I'm like, Softfoot. Oh my god, he's wanna, nothing yeah. like Littlefoot. I don't want to connect dare? those two. How dare. <laughs> but I like Littlefoot. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, uh, Mike has made a lot of great parallels of, you know, like, Will and Chet and... Will was also soft to foot. Ah, that's but true. Not a rapist. Yeah, not and not true. a long <laughs> not a rapist. eating Christ. tree stars. No tree stars for him. He could have been. Oh, he could have been. Though. I mean, he was in the tree. What was he doing up there? He was eating yeah. tree stars, Eliana. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, that's what he was doing. He was it, holding it up, and then the water would pool in the middle, and then he would drink that. Yeah. Oh my God, that all that looked so good. I always wanted. I always wanted to do that. Shiera tree star. Suddenly, there's a shout to assemble at the center fire. <laughs> it's Jayor with Smallwood, Locke, Withers, Blaine, and the Raven. Chet squeezes between Brown, Bernard, and some shadow men. Shadow tower men. Jayor explains the free folk are marching and will be here in ten days with big name fans like Harma Dog's Head and Mance Raider. Yes, my favorite BNFs. But elsewhere, the forces will be thin and on foot, untrained, with flimsier weapons and women, children, animals, all vulnerable and unaware. Or so they hope. Chet thinks they must know, because obviously Corrin's not back, nor Jarman Buckwell. Smallwood says Mance wants to break the wall and bring war to the Seven Kingdoms. But they'll bring war to him first, at dawn. They'll fall on the Free Folk in several places, hitting hard. The Night's Watch seem unconvinced. They think of the numbers and they're sure they're all going to die. The Raven, screaming, Die! 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 does not inspire confidence. Jayor is like, yeah, probably. And then we get this line. But as another Lord Commander said a thousand years ago, that is why they dress us in black. Remember your words, brothers, for we are the swords of the darkness, the watchers on the walls. The fire that burns against the cold. Sir Malador Locke drew his longsword. The light that brings the dawn. Others answered, and more swords were pulled from scabbards. Then all of them were drawing, and it was near three hundred upraised swords, and as many voices crying. The, the horn, horn that, that wakes, wakes the, sleepers. the sleepers. The sleepers. The shield that guards the, guard the realms of men. men. Chet had no choice but to join his voice to the others. The air was misty with their breath, and firelight glinted off the steel. He was pleased to see Lark and Softfoot and Sweet Donald Hill joining in, as if they were as big fools as the rest. That was good. No sense to draw attention when their hour was so close. Well, this whole speech, 
of why we should fight the Free Folk is not, in fact, why the Night's Watch is called all of these different things and say those words. But that's okay. That's going to get fixed soon by the end of the chapter. <laughs> yeah, they're about to get a rude awakening. Yes. Oh. The, even like the raven is like die at the end just to <laughs> just to put that one in there you know and i will say we talked a little bit about the horn and what the horn kind of represents like as far as biblically right that we kind of think of there's some biblical you're blowing the horn here comes the apocalypse but also big sleepers awakened energy right very much so a little mm. bit of dune in there the sleepers awaken the horn that wakes the sleepers Absolutely. And that's interesting. I wonder, I know that there are a lot of reasons, right, that people feel that all this is coming together and right now. I wonder what role this plays in it. Mm-hmm. Well, it is indeed an invigorating speech. It would work on me. I'm simple. And you just want a bird. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll do this for a bird, whatever. Noah, who came on for our Sam episodes, wrote another wonderful essay recently breaking down masculinity, cowardice, and especially how that manifests in that first Will prologue, and about the others as a reflection slash shadow of the violence of patriarchy in Westeros. And I'm also going to say, like, I, I don't know anything about war strategy or any sort of combat strategy or, like, anything to tell you if Smallwood's idea of, like, we got to go now, we got to attack now, uh, whether that's a good or a bad idea. All right, go listen to Nauticast for that, because they do that. Yeah, they do that, and they do it well, and I do not. But there is something to be said about this display, right? And the reminder of their penal colony militias, like, founding, and this appeal to honor and courage and living up to the Westerosi masculine ideals, and manifesting that by attacking the free folk as, like, this sacrifice or in service to the realm, allegedly, rather than falling back, when sometimes falling back is the braver choice, and uh, it, something that Noah wonders in that essay, right, about how is Waymar's sacrifice, or about Waymar's sacrifice being a waste of life, right? That Waymar is just a boy, and in that context of Westerosi masculinity, it necessitates this performance and action of violence in order to like reaffirm it, right? This conquest. And they're doing that against the free folk. And Chet knows that he cannot live up to that, not without dying. And he can't live up to these ideals, right? He's insecure about whether anyone actually means them. And it, part of that is why he insults Sam, right? Sam is easily seen by everyone else as being less manly because he doesn't fit those ideals. And Chet, in order to feel more secure in his own role, his hierarchy in the masculine order, must kick down at Sam, again, in order to reinforce his place. And it's also part of why he's so horrible for his fantasy, where he's like, I'm going to be Crasser 2.0 and for killing Bessa. Because the way that he, again, reaffirms his own masculinity is by inflicting violence upon women. Mm. And dogs. Mm-hmm. Yes. He sucks. Definitely that. <laughs> well, the dogs aren't part of the order. It's just... um. It's just bad. No, but it's also, it, it is, though. Like, that's a sure, I'm sorry, but anyone who treats their dog poorly, uh, even if oh, that's, sure. like, that's like a sure tell sign of abuse. I'm not even kidding. I, I dated a guy that was oh, like, yeah, yeah, ma- yeah. his dog yeah. would cower when he got mad. Like, the guy had an anger so problem. Sad. Yeah, like, it, you could just tell. Like, that's a horrible sign. And says a lot about that person. Like, that he looks at all other beings as lesser than he. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Chet does the Jurassic Park meme, and he goes, clever bird, in his head. And then he 
kind of starts to get some anxiety, right? He's like, wow, that was a pretty good speech that the Lord Commander gave. What if that speech makes someone change their mind about the plan? So he listens to the wind instead, which it turns out is worse because it sounds like a wailing child. Dang. Hello, sons of crasters. How you doing? So young. So sweet. Bad! Oh. (laughs) Then he remembers Bessa. He could see Bessa's face floating before him. It wasn't the knife I wanted to put in you. He wanted to tell her, I picked you flowers, wild roses and tansy and golden cups. It took me all morning. His heart was thumping like a drum, so loud he feared it might wake the camp. Ice caked his beard all around his mouth. Where did that come from with Bessa? Whenever he thought of her before, it had only been to remember the way she looked, dying. What was wrong with him? He could barely breathe. Had he gone to sleep? He got to his knees and something wet and cold touched his nose. Chet looked up. Snow was falling. He could feel tears freezing to his cheeks. It isn't fair! (laughs) He wanted to scream. Snow would ruin everything he'd worked for. All of his careful plans. Ah, he's gonna keep ruining it too. Wait, wrong snow. Wrong snow. I love this line. It wasn't the knife I wanted to put in you, he wanted to tell her. I picked you flowers, wild roses, tansy, and golden cups. It took me all morning. The biggest thing that stood out to me there as we see how a storm of swords is being introduced in themes to everyone. Uh, Tansy, we closed the book with the big declaration of Tansy, right? I gave you my maiden's gift. I would have given you a son, but they murdered him with moon tea, with tansy, with mint and wormwood, honey, a drop of pennyroyal. Even the actual rhythm is similar, right? I picked you flowers, wild roses, tansy, golden cups. A gift is what he wanted to give her, right? She had a gift taken from her, her maiden's gift. So very well put together with the language, and it does wrap you into some of those broader themes later on. The first Tansy mentioned. It's all coming up, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Checks out. It is. Checks out. Checks out. Good thing he gifted her Tansy, you know? That was some forward thinking, even though I'm pretty sure he doesn't know. He doesn't know. So there's a moment here towards the end where Chet's like, it isn't fair. And that snow, both this literal snow and John, as mentioned earlier in the chapter, seem to have taken everything from him. And he's like, it's so unfair that my plans to, like, I mean, it is, right? For his plans to live and survive. They're thwarted, I guess, by natural currents, but it's actually supernatural, but we don't know that yet. But we, we do, because it's a reread. And that it happens right after he thinks of Bessa. I mean, whether or not the snow is actually making his plans harder is fair, whether it's fair or not. Chet just seems to be unable to feel empathy, especially for Bessa, because he just feels like Bessa owed him, right? Just because he bought her some flowers. And I'm like, again, I've gone through way more effort than that to get laid. And for not, you know, and he can't seem to comprehend that whatever this is, might actually, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of justice because what happened to Bessa, that was actually unfair. Like, that is literally very unfair and he is the cause of it. The snow didn't take it all from him. It was his entitlement, feeling entitled to Bessa, and his lack of, like, doing anything to better himself that did it. Uh, the, uh, life so unfair thing only works for so long, right? It only lo- works for so long. And it's not the snow. Though, 
the heavy snow will make their lives harder. It'll make it harder to find the stores, make it easier to be tracked by enemies like the free folk or, you know, the unfree folk, the others. It hides the ground. It makes traversing very dangerous. Done before we began. We're lost. There'd be no lord's life for the leech man's son. No keep to call his own. No wives, nor crowns. Only a wildling sword in his belly, and then an unmarked grave. The snow's taken it all from me. The bloody snow. Snow had ruined him once before. Snow and his pet pig. Ah, yes, a perfect little Ramsey POV for us, right? Uh, it does make me think John's gonna have to kill Ramsey now. Like, when reading this slowly, like, the, yeah. it's just all there. There's so yeah. many through lines of bastards versus bastards. Yep. Whether, like, you know, the patriarchy's, like, lineage bastards of sons and actual, like, horrible people. Yeah. Type usage of the word. Walder Rivers or John. And, and really just feels like it is just positioning a person like Chet, which is Ramsey, versus John. Yeah. It's just so clear with this chapter. Yeah, even just no no lord's life for the leechman's son. No keep to call his own, no wives, mm. nor crowns. Only a wildling yeah, sword it's... in his belly, which we know John gets very much so referred to as a wildling when he comes back, right? After having been a wildling lover, supporter. Yeah. We're gonna... I'm, I'm gonna be the one to say it. We're gonna have a battle of the bastards. Oh my god. I didn't used to think so, but now I'm like... I was 90% on board earlier. I'm like, after this chapter, 100% on board. It's gonna happen. Oh, yeah. It'll just be like, more like taking out the trash than like a <laughs> season finale. <laughs> Will the Battle of the Bastards also have a fist fight? Get out of here. At the Possibly. End? <laughs> <laughs> <It> might... <laughs> You're all horrible. You're all horrible. She might just lunch on him. Just jump on him like a dog. I mean, he should. I think he could take. I think a lot of people could actually take Ramsey. He just yeah. I think Sam could take Ramsey. Knock him down, and that's like you really need. I mean, to I don't think him. I can take yeah. him anywhere, honestly. Horrible bedside <laughs> banner. <laughs> uh, do you. not want to go anywhere with Ramsey. <laughs> could you? Would you? In a box? No. In a boxing match. Oh my God! Green eggs and ram. Oh. Oh. I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> nah. Nah, no. So, Chet gets to his feet, his legs are stiff, feeling like they've been attacked by cold bugs, and I was like, what the fuck is this? The snow is everywhere, but he can deal with Sam. He spots Sam through the heavy snow, beneath mounds of furs. The snow is covering him, and a raven's, a raven quirks now a few times in the background, and then another one joins, and he's getting ready to cover Sam's mouth in order to stab him when... The first horn blast. It's Bow. inconvenient for sure. <laughs> yeah, are you going to make the noise? <laughs> it's inconvenient for sure. The ranger's returning, especially if it means that John is among them. But Sam sits up, waking. Animals everywhere scream. Chet waits for the sounds to die, still holding the dagger, when the second horn blast. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, Silent Hill Siren, you know? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I was thinking Vuvuzelas, but... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, the second blast. Sam whimpers, but gets up, wondering if he's dreaming. Chet's like, no, it's the second blast, Piggy. Call to arms for foes approaching. The free folk and Chet begin to curse them all, when suddenly... 
the third horn blast. Bang. The sound goes on forever. It keeps going. It keeps going. Bang. <sighs> you know, Ramsey did murder dumb Eric for stealing his birthright. Oh. But Chet. <laughs> what did you call him? <laughs> I mean, it's dumb Eric. He was very <laughs> dumb about what he was doing. But Chet tries to murder his brother for stealing his position as steward. Not unlike dumb Eric and Ramsey's little uh, hmm. tiff, when you think about it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Poor dumb Eric. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, agreed. The sound went on and on and on until it seemed it would never die. The ravens were flapping and screaming, flying about their cages and banging off the bars. And all about the camp, the brothers of the Night's Watch were rising, donning their armor, buckling on sword belts, reaching for battle axes and bows. Samuel Tarley stood shaking his face the same color as the snow that swirled down all around them. Three, he squeaked to Chet. That was three. I heard three. They never blow three. Not for hundreds and thousands of years. Three means... Others. Chet made a sound that was half a laugh and half a sob, and suddenly his small clothes were wet, and he could feel the piss running down his leg. See steam rising off the front of his breeches. See, other people piss themselves. It's not just Sam. I would piss myself. Exactly. I would absolutely piss myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone that night did. Be scary. Yeah. This is one of my favorite moments of A Sound of Fire. In, like, you know, one of my favorite chapters. And I genuinely think this is actually one of the best written moments because of how George implements the reveal that the others are here. When we've gone through books of not getting them. And now mm-hmm. it's not just like an inkling. They're here. And they're going to attack. And it's such a clever way of doing it in this prologue. Because we've had, we've mentioned before all the betrayal that's about to go on. And mm-hmm. it's distracting you from the fact that the apocalypse is literally nigh. Apocalypse now. Right now. Favorite prologue. One of the best moments i just love everything about this and a little fun fact side note because i am obsessed with this factor of it's always been fired there are 43 named characters at the fist of the first men right now and only 29 of them get to live only 13 return to the wall interesting huh it really i i like that you called that out because it really shows just how devastating you know it shows the stakes and that balance you were talking about earlier before of what happened on this ranging. Yeah. Yeah. Complete disaster. Indeed. Uh, I'm going to come back to Chet peeing again. And yeah, he made fun of Sam earlier in the chapter saying like, Sam, I bet you would piss yourself if the free folk ever attacked or he said wildlings, whatever the wildlings ever attacked. And uh, I mean, probably Sam does also pee himself here. So does Chet. I also think every single person in this camp has pissed themselves, but <laughs> that's just what i think there's this description of the sound of the horn right like it sounds like it would never die i'm like ha, huh, that's funny it's just like the whites not dying, <laughs> 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 funny funny you should say that about that horn <laughs> rip literally yeah. everyone but not at all <sighs> oh god oh god um and lastly regarding chet and his name turns out chet I'm sure you all know this. Chet with two T's is just derived from Chet with one T. Oh my god. Uh, 
Which I'm is well Eliana. <laughs> what? Egad. What? Allegedly, it's like a nickname for the name Chester, which back like it is named that. It's uh, yeah, like refers to being specifically like from this specific place, but it also came to mean like I guess a fortress or a camp, which is kind of what the the fist was supposed to be. And you know what? The fortress here, it it all it all goes bad. It's bad. Yeah. I, I can vouch that Chet is a nickname for Chester because that's my dad's name. Ah. Oh, oh. There you tell go. Tell us about your dad, Micah. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> is, he, is he anything like... Please tell me Please tell me your father is nothing like this, Chet. He doesn't have an affinity for leeches, right? My dad is a dog person. Okay. A good oh, dog shoot. person. Okay, I was like, what do you mean by dog person? That's like a little too <laughs> ambiguous for me right now. Yeah, right? Uh, Chet says that he's a dog person too, Micah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. We'll keep dog. an eye on it. My dad loves dogs. <laughs> good, good. Okay. No kicking. No kicking up the hill. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, I feel like the misdirection this chapter is great. It's so strong. Like you're supposed to really think the free folk are bad, which that's actually the end of the plot for the north of this, right? Is Stannis coming down on them with steel and Stannis being the hero for mm. taking down the big bad free folk that they've been so afraid of mm-hmm. since the prologue chapter. Uh but then we yeah. learned that's not it. That ain't it, friends. That it. ain't it. Uh, no. That's not the real problem no. <laughs> here. I I really love that flow of plot. Then as we get to dance, the real issues are starting to arise. Rick Grimes, I mean, Jon Snow, has to, you know, corral everybody in the new world. Carl. Coral. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even, like, with, with how the structure of the book is, Stannis comes in to fight the free folk at the end, mm-hmm. and then... In the epilogue, someone comes back from the dead anyway. That's true. Because that that threat of the death is still yeah. there. Absolutely. Mm-mm. And the and the lingering threat of Ramsey, right? It's funny that, as you said, this gives us a, mm-hmm. a peek into his perspective throughout this chapter. And I guess he's in the background, right? Because he's not here. He's not in this book. Yeah. No. He's just chilling that's one way to describe what he is doing yes <laughs> yeah overall yes. i do love things. this chapter i know micah you know you said this is one of your favorites of the prologues right and it it's is my favorite prologue. Absolute favorite. Yeah. yeah yeah and i i think it's a it has a lot oh. of merit a lot of not nah, it doesn't have a lot of merit oh. that's the epilogue <laughs> but <laughs> but it still does it what still is your ranking what is yeah. your ranking, Micah, of prologue? What's my ranking? Yeah, if you know for Ugh. sure this is your favorite. After the first one, I do this thing where I'll just be like, this is my absolute favorite, and then I have a difficulty choosing okay. the rest. That's so fair. like, That's fair. Storm Prologue. Oh, second one is probably Crescent, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. George is like, here's three major characters in this chapter, and nails the intro to each one of them. And then... Oh, I want to say Varamir is, is okay. another favorite. Yeah. Oh, no. No, I'm going to put a Feast on okay. third because Alaris is there. There you go. And then probably Dance and then probably Game. Interesting. I think. Interesting. But I might switch the last two, like, every now and then. Yeah, depending, depending on how you're feeling. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. But the series is good for that, you know? The series is great for that. that Yeah. It's kind of flexible. Fluid. I always say it's not a best to worst. It's a best to least. Yes, yes, yes. It's a best to slightly also best. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. (laughs) So yeah, Storm, Clash, Feast, and then Dance and Game are tied. Mm. Okay. Cool. Well, any any other thoughts, everyone? I think that's it for me. Softfoot doesn't get enough hate, but maybe that's a good thing because no one cares about Softfoot. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I and no. We could celebrate other characters instead of discussing how yeah. much we fucking hate Softfoot because we do fucking hate Softfoot. Yeah, Ed was hilarious in this chapter. Yes. He's like, just because the same thing happened to you, Chet, doesn't mean it's going to happen to Sam. Then it will. (sighs) That's great. Yeah. It's also, I guess, because Softfoot doesn't really... Softfoot doesn't reappear again, right? You said he dies off... Uh, Yeah, he dies off page. Yeah. After this. Good. So maybe it's good that he doesn't get enough hate because that means we never have to hear about him ever again. Thank fuck. Thank fuck. Yeah. He is dead. He probably got like trampled by that big bear that shows up. Probably eat it. I hope so. Probably gets eaten. I hope not. I don't know. I don't I think that Nah, that'd be bad for the bear's digestion. It would give Exactly. Exactly. I feel the same. Oh my god. Yeah. Micah, it has been such a great time getting to have you on finally for this chapter for your favorite POV of the prologues. Uh, please let us know, everyone online, again, where they can find you and check out uh, the podcast and, of course, your wonderful shit posting. I'm on Twitter, and you can find me at Micah underscore of Clark, where, as Chloe said, I do shit posting. <laughs> Currently reading through the Wheel of Time book series, which has been a journey. And. I ramble on there about it often right now. I'm also a member of the Planet Toast podcast, which is not doing that much right now, but you can find our great episodes on YouTube and Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and all those places. All right. Thank you. And be sure to give Micah a follow and find him in all those places. And of course, we are also in the usual places on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter. Or if you have thoughts, we have a couple of thoughts. Like I said, we're going to go over them next time, including some from Micah. You can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and make sure you're subscribed to us on a podcast streaming platform that best works or suits you, whether that is Podbean, where we're hosted, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Acast, Stitcher, audible we're on all of them you can find us yes and of course you can always find us on our patreon at patreon.com slash girls where once a month patrons in the five dollar tier and above the stranger tier and above get access to bonus episodes this month is still tba as is the date for our discord brunch yeah keep an eye and an ear out for that on your feed As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And thank you, Micah. Yes. It's been a pleasure. Oh, oh. Oh, not for chat. Uh, (laughs) Not for chat. 
Not pleasurable for chat, which is good. Not at which all. Which is good. Yeah. Uh, Love to see we'll it. see you next week. How come no one shits themselves? Oh my god, and record.